The next morning, I called the Farmington Valley Police District and got transferred to Liz's office. Liz Sanburn here. I smiled. I loved the way she answered her phone, a rich, whiskey voice, throaty, a sensual greeting that always struck me as incongruous in a police station, especially coming from the on-staff criminal psychologist. Oh, it's you, she laughed. What's got you out of bed before noon? For a second, she turned away from the receiver, talking to someone nearby. Sorry, she came back on the phone. Madness takes no holiday here. Meet me for drinks at the corner house? I asked. Around seven this evening? Are you buying me dinner? Will you be hungry? I am if you're paying, she sighed. What do you want now? Information. Have you heard of 411? Yeah, but I have more of a history with you. Ancient history. A pause. You know, we are divorced. I had the papers laminated and tacked to my dartboard. But you've always had bad aim. What I had, she chuckled, was poor judgment. Ah, terms of endearment. It didn't matter that she was my ex. Liz was a part of my old life in New York City, my student days at Columbia University, and my failed life as a city cop, and now, strangely, my days in Connecticut. We'd been married right after Columbia College, yet by the time I'd joined the NYPD, our marriage was crumbling. Three years later, when I left the force and headed to Connecticut, it was over. The divorce was my idea, and she agreed because we couldn't live together. But love somehow stayed in place. It was as if we always had to know where the other one was. Because of that, I figured, she followed me to Connecticut. She said she was drowning in Manhattan, alone. The skirmishes and spats, the late-night telephone calls, the silences, the shared confidences, the volcanic angers, all finally resulted in a peaceful coexistence. Sort of. We were, well, friendly. We had dinners together. We spent too many hours together. We joked dangerously with each other. All the wounds stayed open. I heard someone asking her something. She covered the mouth of the receiver. Liz, you're busy, I said when she got back on. She sounded harried. It's okay. Really. Quickly, I summarized the drive-by at Goodwin Square, Mary's murder, Ardolino's reluctance to look beyond the obvious conclusion, I could hear Liz scratching something on a pad. I'm curious about Ardolino. Poor Hank, she said. You know how I adore that boy. Seven o'clock? I already said yes. For most of the afternoon, I played computer scrabble, paid some bills, organized an investigation I was working on for the Hartford Insurance Group, and then got restless. I switched on the air conditioner, but my rooms on the second floor of the creaky old Victorian were still stifling. I lounged in running shorts, considered going down the street to Farmington College for a swim, changed my mind, and tried to straighten up the place. Invariably, I kept circling back to Mary Vu's murder, my thoughts centering on my role in this hapless event, that is, Grandma's utter faith in me. But to do what? Rick von Laum, the miracle worker? A murder that was impossible to imagine. 
Hank texted me, then phoned, pushing me, and I told him I'd make calls on people, but I didn't want to pester family members yet. I'll wait a day, let them grieve. He wasn't happy with that. When I hung up, I washed the kitchen counter, bored, restless. Then it hit me. I didn't want to get involved. My connection to the Vietnamese community was tenuous at the best of times. So I vacuumed my carpets. My apartment is on the second floor of a wonderful painted Victorian lady on Cedar Lane, a quiet street, maple-shaded and elegant, that runs off Main, steps away from Miss Porter's school, with its ginger.